yeah, as uh, as, as Pastor Simon said, my name's um, Ora. It's, it's a privilege to be here with you today. Um, I'm here with my wife, Amy, my daughter, Ava. Um, Amy is Pastor Simon's daughter, so that makes me his son-in-law, so you can pray for me, please. No, they're not, they're not too bad. Um, they, we've, been, we've been well looked after this, this weekend. Um, as uh, Pastor Simon mentioned, uh, my current job is that I am one of the pastors at a church in uh, East London called City Gates Church. Uh, but my first ever job was working in a, well, it was kind of like a cafe during the day and uh, a restaurant during the night. It was called Bellini during the day, Amore during the night. And uh, I uh, kind of went to the guy looking for a job. He um, thought that I would be good. And so I started out doing uh, two, like, training shifts. The first where I, like, kind of just sat and watched everyone do all their the different things, which was really boring, but that's okay. Uh, and then the second is when I basically, it was called training, but I was basically working for free. So I got ripped off there. Um, but I was, I was a really bad waiter because I'm actually quite clumsy. So I would often uh, drop things and, and break glasses and that would come out of my wages. So that was fun. Uh, but I also I would basically put toast in the toaster um, and make sandwiches. Um, But when I went to school, what I'd tell my friends is that I am a chef. Um, I told them I was a chef and and a waiter, but really I was just making toast. Uh, And I was a waiter, but a really bad one. It it didn't matter how much I told my friends I was a waiter, it didn't make me a good one. Why am I telling you about my first ever job? Well, I think my experience of my first ever job can be uh, similar to our our experiences as Christians, right? Like, um, we can call ourselves Christians. We can can tell ourselves that we're we're following Jesus, tell other people um, that we're following Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, And as a pastor, I often have conversations with people where they, they say to me, oh, I don't think I'm a very good Christian, and it's like, well, what does that even mean? Like, what does that, what does it look like to be a, a good Christian? Does such a thing even exist? And so, I guess what I want to talk about today is, I guess, exactly that. Like, what does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus? Of course, the Bible is is full of of, of places we could go to, to to look at that. And so, you'll be glad to know I'm not going to go through the whole Bible. We're just going to go to 1 John uh, and chapter 1. Um, yeah, so if you, yeah, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, it will come up on the screen behind me as well. Um, but I want to start from 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, I think this passage gives us a pretty clear idea of what it looks like. Uh, for us to be followers of Jesus, for us to um, to be Christian. Uh, let's read from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I want to pause there because this is where we need to start. Before we get to what it looks like to serve God, 
to follow Jesus, we need to understand who God is. The nature of the God we serve determines what it looks like to follow him. And here, John tells us that God is light, and in him, there is no darkness at all. Like, this God is completely morally pure, completely full of truth and justice and goodness and love, and there is not even a speck of darkness in his nature. Evil and wickedness is completely foreign to the character of God. And this is such an important place for us to start because not only does understanding God's nature help us understand what it looks like to follow him, but it shows us that he is absolutely worth following. See, if God is light and there is no darkness in him, if that's true, then he can absolutely be trusted to have our best interests at heart. He can absolutely be trusted to lead us into life and to wholeness. And he can absolutely be trusted not to deceive us or to lead us astray. God is absolutely worth following. See, the world is such a dark place at times. And even our lives can feel so dark. But if we trust in this God, then we can live in his light even in our darkest seasons. See, God is light, and there is no darkness in him, and so he is worth following and submitting to. And his nature impacts what it looks like for us to follow him. Let's keep reading verses 6 to 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if God is light and there is no darkness in him, we cannot claim to have fellowship with him if we continue to walk in darkness. And notice what John is really saying here. Being a Christian, following Jesus, has to be more than words, but actions too. It's not enough to claim to know God if our walk is still in darkness. See, through Christ, God has called us out of darkness so that we might have relationship with him in the light. And so if this is the case, we have to leave the darkness behind. Essentially, John is saying we can't just talk the talk, but we must walk the walk. If we claim to have fellowship or relationship with God, we must walk in the light as he is in the light. And this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. To live as those who have been brought out of darkness to live in the light. But all this talk about light and dark is, is a little bit vague, right? Like, So for the rest of our time together, let's dig into the rest of the passage and see what it looks like to, to actually live in the light um, rather than the darkness. And the first thing that happens as we, as we begin to live in the light, the first thing that happens as we move from darkness to light is we move from sin to righteousness. From sin to righteousness. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, um, or maybe even if you haven't, this might seem a little bit obvious. Like, 
That's the whole reason Jesus died to save us, right? To save us from our sin. But as we continue through the passage, I hope you'll be open to how John might be challenging your perspective of what righteousness actually looks like. Let's read verses 7 to 10. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Walking in the light is being purified from all of our sin through the blood of Jesus. We just took communion a moment ago to remember that. Through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, we have been made righteous. We've been made right with God. But then John says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In fact, in verse 10, he says, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So on the one hand, we've been purified of all sin, but on the other hand, to say that we're without sin is to deceive ourselves. So it's like, John, make up your mind, which one is it? Well, it's both. Let Let me explain. See, many of us go about our Christian life believing that we can come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. But it's almost like we think that our salvation is based on what we've accomplished. We start to tell ourselves subconsciously that we're Christian because we just woke up and decided to be good people. And if that's the way we view our salvation, if our salvation is something that we've earned based on the good things that we've done, then it's also something that we can lose based on the wrong that we've done. And it's often not a conscious belief that we hold. Like we wouldn't say out loud that we believe that we've earned our salvation or that our salvation is based on what we've done. But when sin shows up in our lives, it ends up feeling potentially devastating to our view of ourselves and devastating to our identity and salvation. And so we handle it the way we always handle difficult things we don't um, know what to do with by burying our heads in the sand pretending the problem doesn't exist. Or as John puts it, we claim that we are without sin. And we do this either by covering up our sin, hiding it from everyone, and then coming to church, putting on this fake persona like we've got everything all together, so holy that we're floating around that our feet barely touch the ground. But outside of church, it's a different story. Is that okay? Sorry, did I ruffle some some feathers there? Or we justify our sin. Like, it's not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person over there, so I'm okay. It's just my personality. I'm just living my truth. I'm just doing what feels right to me. We justify ourselves. And in doing either of those two things, We believe that our work to justify ourselves or cover up our sin is more powerful than Jesus' work on the cross to do both of those things. 
We find ways to cover up and push down our sin, to claim that we're without sin, and so we deceive ourselves. Um, at our church, well, amongst the staff, I kind of, I'm not sure how, but I've built this reputation for myself. Um, that, I, and I'm going to share this because I know that the, this is not a judgmental church, so you won't judge me. I've built this reputation for myself uh, where I'm, uh, that I'm somehow a fast food addict. <laughs> um, to the point where we did Secret Santa uh, for a Christmas meal uh, last month, and the person who did my Secret, Secret Santa um, kind of did this prank on me where there was like a box, and then inside the box, they'd like put my Secret Santa presents in like uh, takeaway bags, like a, ba a Nando's bag and a KFC bag, and it's a whole thing. So to kind of overcome that uh, reputation that I've built for myself, what I'm trying to do is, is meal prep. So on a Sunday afternoon or, or a Monday, I'll cook all my lunches for the week, uh, put it in Tupperware, and then I can take it to work with me. The problem is that I don't always remember to take the Tupperware out of my bag when I get home. And um, so sometimes... Uh, because it's not taken out of my bag, and then the next day I forget to take my lunch with me, it's still in my bag for the next day, and then the next day, and then it's like moldy. And <laughs> but I'm sharing that because I know you're, you're not judging me as I share that, right? Um, now, of course, I could avoid that problem if I just took the Tupperware out of my bag and washed it straight away. Um, but it stays in my bag, out of sight, and it festers and grows mold. If we cover up our sin, it stinks up our life like moldy Tupperware. When we cover up our sin, it festers and stinks up our life like moldy Tupperware. But look what happens when we acknowledge and confess our sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just like taking the Tupperware out and washing it as soon as I get home, acknowledging that we have sin, more than that, confessing our sin to God and to trusted community allows us to receive forgiveness from God and truly be purified of our unrighteousness. You don't have to hide your sin. God is waiting to forgive and to cleanse you of it. You don't have to justify your sin because Jesus died for you to be justified and your sin to be removed. See, if we try and cover up our sin, it's actually a sign that we don't believe the gospel. A sign that we believe that we're saved by our own good works and so we have to cover up our sin so that we don't lose our salvation. But our righteousness doesn't come from a lack of sin it is freely given to us by a God who loves us, saves us, and cleanses us as we, we turn to him in repentance and faith. And it's not that our sin isn't a big deal. It's not that we can just go on sinning and doing whatever we want because God will forgive us. Look at chapter 2 and verses 1 to 2 of, of 1 John. He says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the reason John reminds us that God is faithful and just to forgive is not so that we will feel free to continue to sin because God will forgive us. He reminds us that God is faithful and just to forgive so that we will not sin because sin is serious. And I think it's probably helpful if we define sin at this point. Like often we think about sin, when we talk about sin, we're thinking about individual sins like uh, lying or sexual immorality or, or murder or something like that. But it's actually more helpful to think of sin as a heart posture of rebellion against God. See, long before any action has taken place, sin has already taken place in our heart. Our sinful actions flow from the rebellion against God that is in our hearts. And although human beings were created to be close to God, were made for friendship with God, sin has corrupted our human nature and separated us from him. And so now we can't help ourselves but choose sin. We can't, we can't help it. And that's true of all humanity. See, sin is not just bad actions that we choose to do or not do. Sin is a disease that leads us to rebellion against the God who is light and love. A disease that is woven into the fabric of our corrupted human nature. And because of our sin, we deserve death. And so really, confessing our sin should not be enough um, to lead us from sin to righteousness. It just shouldn't. Maybe you're thinking, or or things got really heavy all of a sudden. One minute we're talking about Māori Tupperware, and now you're talking about deserving death because of sin. And you're absolutely right. It did get heavy, but I think it's actually really important for us to understand how heavy the weight of sin is and how impossible it is for us to deal with it ourselves. Because when we understand the depths and the weight of our sin, we see more clearly the magnitude of God's love and grace displayed in Jesus Christ. See, our sin is so great and its grip on us so strong. That merely confessing our sin should not be enough. But we're told in the verse that we just read why it is enough. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We were lost in our sin, unable to be righteous. And our sin is such a big deal that it demands death. And so Jesus Christ, the righteous one, swapped places with us. He took death and died as our atoning sacrifice, and he gave us his righteousness. And he didn't just take death, but he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death forever. 
And so now, if we put our faith in Jesus, we are free from the power of sin and death. And we no longer need to cover up our sin because if we do sin, Jesus advocates for us. He says, it's okay, I've paid the penalty for that. And as we confess our sin, we can receive forgiveness and cleansing of all our unrighteousness. See, true righteousness doesn't come from our good works or our lack of sin. True righteousness comes from trusting the price that Jesus paid. And confessing our sin regularly that God might forgive us, that he might empower us to live righteously for him and enable us to leave our lives of sin behind. This is where living in the light starts. It starts with Jesus bringing us out of darkness to light and moving us from sin and into righteousness. Are we good so far? Are you still... You're still with me? Okay, cool. So living in the light starts with moving from sin to righteousness, but also moving from lies to truth. Let's read verses 3 to 6 of chapter 2. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do uh, what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So to walk in the light is to leave behind the lies of the world and to live in the truth of God's word. So to know God is to keep his commands. To have love for God is to obey his word. And again, John comes back to this idea that words are not enough. It is not enough for us to say that we know God. It's not enough for us to say that we love God. Because the evidence of that is in our, in our actions. Um, one day, a young boy asked his dad if he could invite a, f- a friend over. His, his dad said, of course, yeah, that's, that's completely fine. And so the boy's friend came, and this particular friend didn't have a great relationship with his own father, and so he was really happy to get out of the house. Whilst the two boys were playing FIFA, um, the father called to them, boys, come here for a second, I need you to do something for me. As the boy got up to see what his father wanted, the friend that he had invited said, no, don't go, let's just keep playing. I don't want to go and do something for your dad. The boy replied, well, you can stay here if you want, but I'm going to go and see what my dad wants. The boy found his dad in the kitchen, and he said, what's up, dad? And the dad replied, okay, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to eat this delicious pizza that I've ordered, and when you're done, you can have ice cream for dessert, and after that, you need to get changed because I've got tickets to go and see your favorite football team. See, the friend didn't know the boy's father very well, and his relationship with his own father wasn't good. And so when the father said, I need you to do something, he assumed that it was going to be bad. But when the son heard his father saying, I need you to do something, he knew that his father always had his best interests at heart. And so was willing to do whatever the father asked him to do. 
And so we don't need to obey God in order to know him or be loved by him. The opposite is true. The more we know God, the more we see that we can trust him. The more we see that if, if he's trustworthy, if he's faithful, if he is the God of light, then his commands are always good for us, even when the world and our flesh says otherwise. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Well, how did Jesus live? Jesus knew who his father was, and he obeyed his father's commands. And I feel like this is, this is something that I can't stress enough, because as I'm saying this, there are inevitably going to be people in the room that are like, okay, I need to work harder to, to not sin, or I need to work harder to obey God's commands. Can I, can I just tell you up front that you're going to fail? Like I said before, sin is, is this disease that has corrupted our nature. And so if we try and do this in our own strength, we're doing this out of our flesh, out of sin, we're going to fail. We need the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us, to empower us. We have to depend on his strength. Otherwise, we will fail every time. The good news is that when we do fail, we have an advocate, Jesus, He's covered all of our sin. But please don't go from here thinking that you just need to work harder to obey God and everything's going to be fine. You'll fail. What we need to do is know more of God, depend on his grace, depend on his strength, depend on the power of the Spirit. And then we can live in the light. Then the, the last move here, so we've moved from sin to righteousness, from lies to truth. The last move is from, from hate to love. Let's keep reading. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. This truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The command that John is talking about here, he says it's not a new command because what he's about to tell us is um, from the Old Testament, the greatest uh, commandments to love, love God and and to love your, your neighbor. But its expression is new. The command is old, but the expression is new. Because when the command was first given, the power of darkness over humanity was still prevalent and prevented us from living in the light. But now the true light is shining, Jesus, who is the revelation of the God of light. And he has overcome the darkness, causing it to fade away, ready to completely eradicate it when he returns in glory. And so the, old, the command is old, but the expression is new because we have been brought into the light. Let's keep reading. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. 
anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And you see again this, this recurring theme that following Jesus has to be more than words. It has to be more than we say we love God, more than we say we follow Jesus, more than we say we love one another. It has to be actions. We cannot claim to be in the light and tolerate hate in our hearts because hate is darkness. And the love that we're talking about here is not a shallow, sentimental love. As, as I mentioned before, um, my, my daughter, well, she was there with my wife, but they've gone out. Um, and uh, if you're a parent, you can probably relate. She's very tiring. Um, she uh, often keeps us up at night. Um, you have to change her, her nappies and she throws up on me all the time. <laughs> but I love that girl. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't even have words to describe how much I love that girl. And she's hard work. But of course I love her, right? Like, because there's all kinds of like parental hormones driving me to do that. But the love that we're called to it's like the same intensity of love for people who are the same level of hard work who we don't have the parental hormones to love them that way. Right? This, because Jesus sets the standard. Like Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Knowing all that we've done in our past, all that we're we're struggling with in our present, all that we're going to mess up with in our future. He died knowing all of that stuff. That's, that's the level of love that we're, we're called to here. Like, I might find you completely irritating, but I will not stand by and watch you suffer. You may have hurt me, but I will not allow myself to hold bitterness towards you. You might be the last person on earth that I want to talk to you. But I will not even let you walk home in the dark when it's unsafe if I'm able to give you a lift. This is, that's not easy love. It's not emotional love. It's not shallow or sentimental. It is sacrificial. It is inconvenient. It's practical. And it's uncomfortable. But this is the love that we're called to. And again, maybe you're thinking, okay, this sounds really hard, but okay, I'm going to try really hard to be more loving this week. You're going to fail. You don't become more loving in order to walk in the light. But as Jesus brings us into the light, we will become more loving. So if we're failing to love, the answer is not to try harder to be more loving. The answer is to turn to Jesus, who has loved us with this love. To turn to Jesus for him to fill us 
with this love until we overflow with it to those around us, to everyone around us, not just those who it's convenient for us to love. So this is, I guess, a little bit of a, I was going to say introduction, but maybe not introduction. This is like a small part of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Not living in the darkness, not tolerating the darkness, but living in the light. And that looks like living, not living in sin, but in righteousness. Not living in lies, but in truth. Not living in hate, but in love. Um, 